Thank you. My name is Rob, and I am a grateful recovering alcoholic and a grateful member of Al-Anon. Any Al-Anon members here? <laughs> Al-Anon got me into sobriety, and uh, Al-Anon has taught me emotional sobriety, and um, AA taught me how to live, and I'm grateful for both. Um, I want to take a, a quick moment and say thank you to all the people who did service to make this possible. Let's give them a round of applause. It, it takes a huge amount of work uh, to put any one of these conferences on, and uh, you know it gets a lot less visibility than a lot of the service positions in a meeting. So this really is service uh, gladly rendered. I um, called my sponsor last night, who's done a bunch of conventions, and I said, you know, I'm nervous. What do I do? And he said, um, you know, prepare and then get down on your knees in the bathroom before you speak and say the third step prayer. And so I did. Uh, you know, relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Um, and I realized that was very different than when I used to get down on my knees in the bathroom. <laughs> I was drinking and I was, you know, saying those foxhole prayers, but, uh, you know, um, I first came to Living Sober, the Western Roundup, in, in 1993, 25 years ago. Uh, I was a new Al-Anon, um, a hanger-on, sort of going to meetings, but not asking for help. Um, and I had uh, come out to the Bay Area for the summer, uh, and I was chasing Mr. Wright. And, um, and only an Al-Anon would chase Mr. Wright in a group of drunks, but that's where I was going. Um, and then in, three years later in 1996, I came back uh, as a newly sober member of AA, uh, even more dazed and confused, chasing the new Mr. Wright, uh, who was in Al-Anon and had recognized that I needed to get sober a lot more than I needed a relationship. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. Um, I'm really grateful to the 12 steps of both of these programs. You know, as the previous speaker said, I have learned to grow up in this program. I learned to be a gay man in this program. I learned to contribute to society in this program. And I really do have a life beyond my wildest dreams. I, I don't say that lightly. I woke up this morning and made biscuits with my twin daughters. Uh, I spoke on the phone with my partner who lives in Provincetown. Um, you know, I did some service. I came here. And if you had told me in uh, 1993 or 1996 that I'd be a you know, single gay dad living in San Francisco and that I'd be working in a hospital where I've been for seven years now and that I'd uh, be speaking at an AA conference, I would have said, you know, you have the wrong person, right? <laughs> Uh, and I'm really happy uh, with my life. Um, and none of it is stuff that I can claim credit for. You know, it was through working the steps with sponsors and being with you all that, uh, that I am here. I, um, you know, I looked at the topic for the conference, uh, Relieve Us of the Bondage of Self, and I thought, what do you say about that? Uh, I don't know. Um, so I did what my sponsor always teaches me to do when I have a problem, which is open the books and find the answer. 
And so I took my uh, daily readers from Al-Anon and from uh, AA, and, and I looked in the index, and, uh, and guess what? We are really selfish people. Because like in the index to every one of the books, there's like self-centeredness, self-absorption, you know, self-reflection, self-acceptance, self-denial, like self, 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 self. There is more entries about self than anything else. It's amazing, right? Where do I begin? And so I decided, well, you know, I actually have some experience in being relieved of the bondage of self through the steps when I worked the program. Um, and I'll just share that. Uh, there's a guy in my home group. Well, let me step back and say my, my sobriety date, is my most recent and hopefully last sobriety date is December 1st, 2001. I do have a sponsor who knows that he's my sponsor. I have a home group. Uh, I have sponsees. I work the steps with them. I work the steps with my sponsor. Um, it hasn't always been that way. Uh, there's a guy in my home group who says, I'm here because my way did not work. And that's why I'm here. Uh, and that's been my experience before I got sober. And that's been my experience in sobriety. Because over and over, I've tried to do things my own way. And, uh, you know, self-constructed prisons. <laughs> I love that reading. That is my experience when I try and run my own life, whether I'm a drunk, or whether I'm sober. And when I do the third step, things change. Um, so how I got here, um, Friday, October 13th, 1995, was a really bad day for me. And I think we've all, because we're here, have had days like that. But I was sitting on the edge of the Charles River in Boston, and, um, and I had lived in eight places in the last 10 years. And um, I hadn't held down a job for more than six months in more than three years. And um, I couldn't have a relationship that lasted more than a week or two. I was about $40,000 in credit card debt. I was estranged from my family. Um, I didn't think the drinking was the problem, but I knew that my life was really unmanageable. And, um, and I remember just saying, God, if you are out there, I, I can't go on like this anymore. Um, and two days later, I was in my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. I did not want to get sober. I did not want to stop drinking. Uh, I know that the third tradition says the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There is no membership test here, right? No one's going to say, do you really want to stop drinking? Right? We can come even if we don't think that we want to stop drinking. Um, but I was at that point a nominal member of Al-Anon, and I had called my Al-Anon sponsor for help. And he took me to a guy who was trying to 12-step me. Um, but he was telling me a story, and I was just sitting there thinking, God, this guy talks about himself a lot. Like, what? what's the point? Right? But I ended up in that first meeting, and, um, and it was a seven-up meeting in Boston, which meant you had to have seven years or more of sobriety to speak. So I had an instant resentment at my first AA meeting. Don't you know I'm a newcomer? No, nope, they didn't care. Um, 
But on the wall were the Ninth Step Promises. I didn't know they were the Ninth Step Promises, but they were these slogans. And one of them said, we will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. And that was enough to hook me because I was so baffled. I was so baffled by life. I couldn't figure it out. Now, I had just graduated from grad school. Pretty good school in England. I had an undergrad in engineering from an Ivy League college. Like, I thought I was a pretty smart guy. I couldn't figure it out. Um, but that gave me some hope. Um, the next day, I walked into work, and I walked into a colleague's office, and I sat down and I said to her, uh, I went to my first AA meeting last night. Now, I don't know why I did that, because that's not something that you'd normally do in a work situation. Like, hi, I'm a newly recovering alcoholic. She opened her desk drawer, she pulled out a big book, and she said, welcome to the fellowship of AA. <laughs> and she took me to a meeting that night in the suburbs of Boston, um, filled with straight, white, happy people. And I was shaking, and she looked at me and she said, this is not your crowd, is it? And I said, no. And so she said, well, there's a big uh, gay and lesbian meeting in Boston on Tuesday nights called Crossroads. Why don't you go there? And the next night I did. And I introduced myself as an alcoholic for the first time, and that's when life began to change. And Teresa was in that group when I got sober. And it's a total miracle. It's a total miracle that we're in the room together now. Because Teresa, you know, she shared a little bit. Teresa had a reputation, right? And uh, basically, if Teresa was on this side of the room, I went to that side of the room, right? Fast forward, you know, a bunch of decades, and, uh, and when I showed up uh, a year ago at my, at my new home group, and I heard her say, um, you know, the only, uh, what is it? Our primary purpose is to say soba. I was like, Whoa. Oh, it's Boston AA, Teresa, and we hugged, right? And that's the miracle of AA. I want to be near her now instead of on the opposite side of the room. But, but I, uh, you know, I, that, was, that was my home group for the next six years. Now, like, as I said, when I, when I came in, I did not think that alcohol was the problem. You know, I thought my coworkers were the problem, my family was the problem, you know, da -da 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 -da, my money was the problem. Um, real quick, I grew up in an alcoholic home in upstate New York that... Um, looked really good on the outside, and both of my parents were alcoholics. So at night, chaos, you know, violence. I just wanted to get out of there uh, as fast and as far as I could. And um, I started drinking when I was 13. I still remember it. Um, I thought for many years, I was really shy as a kid. Uh, I too knew I was gay when it was not okay to be gay. Um, and I thought that that drink made me social. It took me 10 years in recovery to realize that I became antisocial as soon as I drank. You know, I got plastered that first night. I was the one who was the mess. And when I drank, like my attention went right to the drink and I stopped caring about the people around me. I used to think that the drink allowed me to dance I remember my graduation dance in high school, dancing with myself. Did anyone else drink and dance by themselves in a crowd of people? Right, that's what the drink did to me. 
but I took the lie that it was helping me, that it was making me social, and I ran with that lie for years. You know, I, I knew enough about my parents' alcoholism to know in college when I came home one day and I, I kept cases of beer stacked in my dorm room and I said, I need a drink. I stopped, I heard myself. I was like, I didn't want to drink, I needed a drink, and that scared me. So I did what any alcoholic would do. I drank the rest of my beer, and then I decided from then on I would only drink out in bars, not in my own room. I thought that was the solution to my drinking problem. Uh, you know, fast forward more, um, I, uh, I lived in New York after college. I um, was filled with fear. I still wasn't out. I was in a four-year gay relationship at a time when the AIDS epidemic was at its peak, and, um, and I was in denial, um, and I was convinced at work that you were going to find out any moment that I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And, um, and so I cut, and I run. I quit. And, uh, and that was the beginning of 10 years of geographic cures, right? Um, which led me to a disastrous relationship with a practicing alcoholic, which led me to Elanon, thank you, um, which led me eventually to AA. Um, so right before Friday, October 13th, um, that July, in July of 1995, I was uh, in a blackout in Provincetown uh, on Cape Cod, and I was mountain biking on the, on the trails there, and. Um, I don't know what happened, but I did a face plant on the path at high speed. Um, and I'm told um, that I got up and said, I'm okay. And I had you know, blood streaming down my face. And whoever I was with, I still don't know who I was with, said, no, you're not. And they went to, uh, to get help. Now, this was before cell phones. So they walked out to the one road that ran back to the inner cape and flagged down the passing ambulance which happened to be empty, that took me an hour to Hyannis, where a plastic surgeon was on duty because there had just been a motorcycle accident, and they stitched me up, you know? I didn't think that alcohol was the problem, but I was confused enough that I started going back to Al-Anon meetings in Boston, and a um, couple months back into Al-Anon, uh, you know, I'd fallen in love with one of my fellow Al-Anons, who uh, we went to a retreat back in Provincetown. And he and I were taking a walk on the beach one night, and I was telling him uh, what I thought were funny stories about my drinking. I did not know that he was seven years sober. Uh, and he just turned to me and he said, have you ever thought of going to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous? And I remember laughing, but I kind of knew the gig was up because he was the first person who took my drinking and the consequences of my drinking and put them together. It was in that moment I realized that I was a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde drinker. You know, I was not a daily drinker, but I was a Russian roulette drinker. When I drank, I never knew. Was this the night I was going to have, you know, a couple, which for me meant six, eight, ten, or was this the night that I was going to go into a blackout? I didn't know. Um, and, and he was the guy who 
pulled back because he knew I needed to get sober. And in doing that, I was desperate enough to come to AA. So I came to AA to get a relationship, not to stop drinking. And I was going to sponsor myself. I was going to take myself through each step, one step a month, till I got the year, and then I could go get that relationship, right? And it didn't work out. If anyone out there is sponsoring themselves, I have done that multiple times. It always leads me to disaster, right? So at six months, when I went back to a place where I used to live where people drank a lot and someone handed me a drink and I said, oh, I can't drink, I'm an alcoholic. And they said to me, no, you're not. I said, okay. <laughs> and I drank. And I continued drinking that whole weekend. And uh, luckily I had a home group that I went to every week. And so I went back the next Tuesday to Boston Crossroads. And I went up to the guy who was nominally my sponsor, who I never talked to. And I said, I think I may have had a slip this weekend. Now, I'd been drinking all weekend. But that's the level of honesty that a practicing alcoholic can have, right? And he said, well, what do you, you know, you have to determine. And, and I said, yeah, I need to start over. And three days later, he called me. And he said, uh, you know when you told me that you had a slip? That night. Before the meeting, he had gone out to dinner with friends. He had 17 years of sobriety, and he had picked up a drink. And he said, I can't be your sponsor, but let's be newcomers together. And, um, and so I got a new sponsor, and I was so angry. I was so angry. I was sitting in my meeting, rocking back and forth, because God damn it, how hard is it to stop drinking? I mean, you know, it's not that hard, right? And I figured out... That's when I learned, as an alcoholic, you can put down the drink by keeping it down, right? S staying sober, that's the trick. I didn't know how to do that. And that was when I began to be released of the bondage of self because I leaned over. Actually, the guy next to me, he leaned over to me and he said, you're making this a lot harder on yourself than you have to. And he put his hand on my back and I stopped rocking and I exhaled and I said, I need help. And he said, yes, you do. And I asked him to be my sponsor. And he took me through the steps. And that was the beginning. You know, and I learned, uh, you know, step one was about self-deception. I, I was so in denial. Uh, I did not identify with anything in the big book until I got to the end. And there's a great story, Crossing the River of Denial, where a woman talks about going to a hockey game. And I grew up in hockey country. And she says, when I controlled my drinking, I couldn't enjoy it. When I enjoyed my drinking, I couldn't control it. And suddenly, like 300 pages into the big book, I went, oh, my God, I'm an alcoholic. Right? And once I was able to take step one with him, then we turned to step two, which was letting go of self-reliance. That was even harder, you know. I remember the, the first... Friday in December in 1995, we were uh, sitting in a hospital cafeteria in Boston reading the third step, which, which comes right after, um, right after how it works. You know, we all know how it works. But then it goes on to say, you know, being convinced we were at step three, which is when we decided to turn our will and our life over to the God as we understood him. Just what do we mean by that? The first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. And I went, oh, hell no. No, 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 no. Wait, you're, you're asking me to stop drinking, and now you're, you're asking me to stop thinking? And, uh, 
you know, and my sponsor, in his gentle way, he said, Rob, your best thinking brought you to your bottom. Are you willing to try it another way? And I had like that much willingness, but I said, okay. And uh, I didn't believe in a higher power that could help me at that point. But over time, I have come to, you know, step four, um, the first time I did step four in Al-Anon, I did it with a sponsor who didn't have a sponsor. We didn't do steps one and two and three before it. And so my first fourth step was like all the things that I knew were wrong with me. I might as well kill myself now, right? When I did my first fourth step in AA, um, I was doing it with a sponsor who had a sponsor who had worked the steps, who took me slowly through steps one, two, and three. And he pointed out in step three that we do not turn our will and our lives over to a higher power. We turn our will and our lives over to the care of a power greater than ourselves. And he really stressed, if you let go just a little bit, you will be cared for. I didn't believe it. I had no experience to believe it, but I believed that he believed, and that was enough to begin, right? And so he said, step four isn't about what's wrong with you. It's about what's stopping you from letting go. It's about the stumbling blocks. It's about you know, self-centeredness. It's about self-pity. It's about self-importance. It's about self-centered anger, self-centered fear, self, 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 self. Or as a guy in our home group says, the, the, the alcoholic opera, me, 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 right? It's all about me, 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 the problems I have. You know, I remember going up to a woman in my, in my home group in early sobriety and telling her, like, you know, all this debt I had and I couldn't hold down a job and I was so pissed off at my family and all this stuff. And she said, you know, if you keep coming to AA, and work the steps, all of that will change. And I thought, lady, you don't understand my problems. And she did, right? Because she was an alcoholic like me. Um, later in the third step on, on uh, what is it on page 62? I have my sponsees read this. It says, so our troubles we think are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he or she doesn't usually think so. That described me to a T. And my first fourth step allowed me to see the patterns over and over and over and over where I was self-sabotaging, where I was blowing my life up. You know, and in step five, I got to let go of that. And um, six, seven, eight, nine were not easy. But that was, that was the clearing away of the wreckage of the past. You know, that's where I got little by little by little as I stopped practicing those behaviors. My sponsor said, when you make an amends, the first thing you do is you don't say, I'm sorry. You stop the behavior. And then you say you're sorry. And then you say, what can I do to fix this? You know, little by little, that gave me self-respect and self-esteem, and it taught me self-control. But I couldn't do it without prayer, just like I can't stay sober without prayer. That sponsor taught me, um, you know, 
when I admitted to him that I'd been drinking, and I, once I started drinking, I couldn't stop. Right? That was my aha moment. I said, how do you stay sober? He said, you get down on your knees in the morning, and you say, God, please help me stay sober today. And then at the end of the day, you get down on your knees and you say, thank you, God, for keeping me sober today. And I said, but I wasn't raised in a tradition where we get down on our knees. And he said, did I ask you? <laughs> no. Do it. And so I did it. You know? and, and he taught me the same thing about my character defects. Right? God, help me be free of my anger. God, help me be free of my judgment. Help me be free of my arrogance. Help me be free of my fear. Um, and eventually, self-pity was replaced by gratitude. And self-centeredness was replaced by service. Self-importance was replaced by realizing that I was an alcoholic and an addict just like all of you. Um, you know, I got a life beyond my wildest dreams at three years. I moved away for a guy. I stopped going to meetings. I stopped working with my sponsor. Life was great. I didn't need AA anymore. I could run it myself, right? You know where this is going? Yeah. So I moved to Germany, which is where I'd had my previous relapse. And uh, at, I was making Thanksgiving dinner for my German friends. They had heard about Thanksgiving. They'd never seen it. And I was pouring a nice German white wine for all of them. And I thought it would be really rude if I didn't have some myself. <laughs> right? Five and a half years sober and I was off again. And I drank for 10 days. And it wasn't actually that bad. But what I found was, I kept saying to myself, you know, I can get sober tomorrow. Not today. I'll do it tomorrow. And I realized I was on the slippery slope, right? I'll get sober tomorrow is the swan song of drunks who die in the gutter. And I know because both of my parents died of this disease, and it's not a pretty death, you know? Thank you. So I got sober again in a church basement in Wiesbaden, Germany, with a 12 guys from the US Air Force. It works, you know? And it's doubly incredible, because on my first fourth step, I had a resentment against the Catholic Church because of what I thought it did to my first boyfriend. Ah. Uh, and I had resentment against the United States military because what I thought it did to my father. And so I got sober on December 1st, 2001 in a Catholic church basement with a bunch of guys from the US military. <laughs> and I haven't felt the need to pick up a drink since then. Now, a lot of life has happened. You know, I had a cancer diagnosis. I, um, I lost both of my parents to alcoholism. Uh, I've gotten audited by the IRS. Um, I, um, I got the gift of being a parent and, and a partner who had a personality disorder, uh, which led to an incredibly painful and expensive Kramer versus Kramer divorce. And boy, when I hear about you know, the scars that divorce leave, uh, I've, I've lost custody of my 12-year-old son. I haven't seen him in a year. Um, but I haven't had to pick up a drink about any of it. And, um, but I was sponsoring myself again at, during that time. And, and, uh, and there comes a point in recovery where, you know, taking a drink or a drug just isn't an option anymore. But I was starting to think about killing myself. 
And because I work in a hospital, I knew if you're making plans on how you can kill yourself, big red flag, right? So I went to UCSF and I said, I need help. And they gave me a test and they said, you are seriously clinically depressed. You need some medication. And I said, actually, I think I need a sponsor in AA. And they looked at me like, you're crazy. But you know what? I went and I got a sponsor who works the steps and does service. And I did need medication for a year to put a floor under my feet. But what I really needed to do was to get back into the steps and to start doing service again. And my life started turning around. And you know, about a year ago, when I realized that I wasn't going to see my son probably until he's 18, I was on my knees again, just sobbing in my, in my bedroom. And, uh, and I thought of something I was taught by my sponsor. When things aren't going the way you think they should, start saying a gratitude list. And I started saying thank you for the ability to say thank you. Thank you for a floor under my knees. Thank you for a bed to pray on. Thank you for a roof over my head. Thank you for sobriety. Thank you for indoor plumbing. Thank you for life. Thank you for breathing. And it went on for probably 10 or 15 minutes. I had so many things to say thankful for. It didn't change the fact that I was losing my son, but it changed my attitude. And I was getting out of the bondage of self, and I was realizing how many gifts I have because of recovery. So I'll wrap up by saying, you know, I, I love AA. I love Al-Anon. I was completely resistant to work in the steps. The engineer part of me still does not see how this stuff over here is gonna solve my problems over there. But I've learned in recovery that my problems are basically of my own creation, right? I am, when I am not in the steps, I am an example of self-will run riot. And when I'm working the steps with a sponsor, and when I'm sponsoring others and doing service, I get out of myself. And I'm open to the grace of a higher power who I choose to call mama. That's my higher power. I don't use the word God, I use mama. But, you know, she guides me. She guides me here, she guides me through life. And, uh, and that, that promise that I saw in my first meeting, we will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. I can honestly say that every single one of the ninth step promises has come true in my life despite my best intentions, because of this program and the grace of a higher power that relieves me of the bondage of self. So I am so grateful to be here. I'm so grateful to be sober today. Thank you all. And uh, let's keep trudging the road of happy destiny together. Thank you. Thank you.